Scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I I don't know if you picked up on this, but on February 12th, which was a Sunday... Kyle preached over marriage and and divorce. Like, we didn't intentionally plan that. And I think about this text, and it's about worrying, and it's about anxiety. And we're living in a world that has a lot to provoke, uh, has the ability to provoke a lot of anxiety and worry. And it's just interesting to see how God's Word becomes, um, because it's His Word and it's alive and active, particularly relevant. And, And actually, it is. You know, this morning, Jesus addresses something that every single person in this room has experienced, is experiencing, will experience to varying degrees, this idea of worry or anxiety or angst or confusion. Are any of these emotions familiar? I know that they are because that's part of living in the world we live in. Let me read you some, a little bit of uh, research and uh, some statistics on anxiety in our particular culture. So this is a research study that was done only including people in the United States of America. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental disorder that people experience in the U.S. And though highly treatable, only one in three adults will seek mental health treatment of any kind. The Journal of Clinical Psychiatry commissioned a study to determine what percentage of all money spent in the U.S. on mental health are due to anxiety disorders. Their findings? One-third of all money spent on mental health care in the U.S. are spent on anxiety. One in four adults will experience a diagnosable anxiety disorder. One in ten will experience an anxiety disorder of sorts this year. And guess what other disorder is closely linked to anxiety? Depression. And what a combo. Anxiety and depression. In other words, anxiety and depression go hand in hand. Jesus is addressing something here when he talks about being worried, Right? When you're, you know, kids, if you're in high school or middle school and your parents say, hey, I'm worried about something, that usually means more than, I'm just curious if you're going to wear a red shirt or a blue shirt. Like, it usually means something more. What is Jesus talking about here? I tell you, don't worry about your life. What does he mean? You know, today, um, if you were, actually, if you were here in the past couple months, you heard one of our friends who's a missionary with Mission to the World, which is a denomination in our Uh, a mission agency in our denomination who preached here just before he and his wife who's from the Ukraine went back to Ukraine to be part of their church there 
I am anxious for them. I'm worried about them. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says not to worry? We live in a world that makes us anxious. Maybe you're anxious about finances. Who hasn't been? Now, perhaps you're consumed with anxiety about how to protect your kids. Like, how do we parent them well? Now, maybe you're anxious about tomorrow. I don't know what you're dealing with next week or the week after or what you're just coming off of. But my guess is, is if, you were gonna, if someone were to ask you this question, hey, what made you anxious recently? You could go there pretty quick. It's something that all of us deal with and think about. And here is Jesus in the first century saying something that for 21st century people sitting in the United States of America, we read this and go, what? Well, if that's true, that would be amazing. How, what would it mean for me to live into this? If, if Jesus really means what he's saying here and it's authentic and it's true, how can I do that? Or, man, maybe I feel a lot of guilt right now because I'm an anxious person. Is it sin to experience anxiety. Well, there's something going on here that Jesus is giving to us. And if you look at verses 25 and verse 34, the two, the beginning and the ending verse of the text that we read this morning, it's like Jesus has these bookends to something he wants to tell you in the center. Listen to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. And then in verse 34, the end of our text, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in between those two statements, Jesus gives us these word pictures that are somehow meant to address and help, to me- help us think about something as profound and common as anxiety or worry. What does he have to say to us this morning? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm first going to talk about the idea of anxiety and, and talk about it from the scriptures. And then we're going to discuss a little bit about what's at the core of that. Why, is Jesus, why does Jesus decide to include this in the Sermon on the Mount to not worry? Like, what is that about? And then, and then what would it mean for us to actually begin to live as if these words are true? Okay? And so first, anxiety has something to do fundamentally with how we process the world. Look at the different areas of life that Jesus brings up when he says, hey, don't worry. Look at the different things he's including when he, when he talks about this. About your life, that, that's, a, that's a pretty comprehensive one. In regards to what you eat or drink, you know, most of the time, Jamie does great meal preparation. She'll even tell me what to cook. But every now and then, the boys and I find ourselves in a situation where Jamie says, I don't know what we're eating tonight. And we kind of all look at each other like, are you cooking? Like, what, what's going to happen here? Like, Jesus says, oh, you know what? Don't, don't let that be an all-consuming thing. He talks about your body. Who hasn't struggled with body image? Your value, where do you derive your value from? Has that ever provoked anxiety for you? The length of our lives. What we wear, if we'll have anything to wear. Or how about this? This feels pretty comprehensive. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is coming. What does it include? You know, it's a common experience for us all. It seems like there's some kind of difference between what it means to be anxious and and what it means to have concern. And I don't mean that thing where someone comes to you and they say, hey, I've got some concerns. Like, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the difference between being anxious and being concerned. You know, anxiety is this all-consuming fear that creates dissonance within us. And what is the dissonance? Whatever it is you're anxious about, in that moment, you, you have two questions. Am I powerful enough to deal with this? Or is, there, is that thing more powerful than anything that can protect me? Concern addresses the reality that we live in a broken world. We do live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world where things happen that if, imagine, it's completely up to you to fix it, it would provoke a lot of right concern. Because I don't have the answers to all the world's problems. 
Anxiety is based on our power, ultimately. Concern acknowledges the lack of power in, and that we have and, and asks the question, is there something more powerful that can watch over us or protect us or answer this thing that's provoking a lot of anxiety? Now, sometimes you start with concern and you move to anxiety and you move back to concern. There was one time when I was in college, my friends took me to a lake, and I love lakes. You go windsurfing, go swimming, hang out in the lake, go boating, so many fun things to do in the lake. And we go to the lake there in Lake Travis, and they bring me up to these cliffs, and we're looking at the cliffs, I'm like, oh, guys, what an amazing view. I had some concern, because it's a 20-foot cliff, and there's water right there, and there's, you know, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe a little off of the cliff, a little, you know, I just don't want to fall off. My concern began to turn to anxiety when they took their shirts off, and then they took their shoes off, and then they, then they began giggling. And I was like, well, I'm not getting pushed in, so I think this is still the area of concern. I began to back away further, and then I experienced anxiety when my friend Jameson and my friend Shane decided to jump off the cliff into the water. And I went, I feel like this is a bad idea. Now, I'd never been here before. Come to find out it's like a 15-foot cliff and everybody goes there to jump. But in that moment, I was experiencing a deep anxiety of like, I thought my, brains had, I thought my friends had more sense than apparently they do. And now they're asking me to join them in this tomfoolery or whatever, right? Well, it was fine. I took my shirt off. I took my shoes off. I jumped in the water. The water was safe. But as a boy who grew up around the water, I know that six inches below the water, there can be a tree log. I know that you can underestimate how deep black water is. I also know that I experienced some trauma around lakes before. And so all that stuff began welling up in me. But then I saw my friends doing it. I thought, you know what? Okay, maybe I, maybe I can do this. And I jumped off and we had a good time. Jesus is acknowledging here, please don't hear me saying this. If, if you're somebody who's really struggling with anxiety right now, do not hear me saying this. The fact you're struggling with, struggling with anxiety is just because you don't have enough faith. You're struggling with anxiety and you should be ashamed of it. No, no, no. Jesus is addressing real things that he thinks you might experience anxiety from. Things like life and tomorrow and food and value and clothing. He's saying, listen, if you're going to look to those things to give you what you're hoping for, it's not going to go well. I want more for you. I want you to actually find this, that your Father knows you. He knows what you need to seek His kingdom and His righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus isn't saying that there's something wrong with us because we experience deep concern or maybe even anxiety. He's saying the thing your heart's longing for in that moment is right here. The Father who loves you the Father who cares for you, the Father who's with you. Jesus acknowledges that, acknowledges that there are things that we are going to be concerned about. He says, you know, there are things that, or when you experience anxiety, you might be experiencing this idea that this is just not something I can deal with. Do you realize what you're saying? This is something I cannot deal with. Okay, that's why there's a God who loves you, one who's big enough to deal with those things. Being concerned is saying there's real needs, is there one more powerful than this thing that's around me? Can he be enough for me in this moment? Anxiety believes that the power of the thing that is impressing upon you is so overwhelming that it's going to win. And Jesus is saying there's a greater one to put your hope in. Now, if you've experienced anxiety, how do you deal with it? Now, some people lash out. They lash out and, and, and when they're anxious. Some people manipulate. Some people exaggerate. Some people ignore it. Some people try to dampen it with either distracting practices, whatever that might be. How are the scriptures calling us to deal with the fact that we live in a world that is going to provoke concern? The scriptures are teaching us that part of what Jesus is doing here 
is he's reminding us that even in something that's as small as what you're going to eat, the clothing that you're going to wear, what tomorrow might bring is something he can speak to. And here it is. Your Father in heaven who knows you, knows that you need these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Jesus in in this moment is inviting us to trust him in the midst of anxiety. Now think about this. Do you think Jesus ever experienced anxiety? Do you think he ever experienced fear? Do you think Jesus ever experienced this deep sadness where he maybe, and we can't see into his brain all the time, you know, unless he says it, where he said, what now? When Jesus is on the cross and he's dying on the cross, he looks up in the heavens and says, it's finished. But he also says, Father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of existence, Jesus experiences something that you and I have never experienced, the absolute distance of the Father. And the reason why Because in that moment, Jesus carries all the weight and the sins of the world. Just think about your own life for a minute. minute. Just imagine if every single wrong thing you had ever done, ever, every mistake you had ever made, was able to be pinpointed into one moment in your life, and you were able to experience the full punishment of all the stuff just that you deserve in one moment. How awful that would be. Jesus experiences the brunt of all of the world's sin and says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Of course, he's quoting Psalm 22, but it's actually true. You know, people, even people who hate God and don't really know much about him get to experience his grace. We call it common grace. They get to have relationships whether they acknowledge God's real or not. They get to experience warm days, unlike today, whether they love God or not. They get to experience many blessings in this life, and yet in this moment, Jesus says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you want something to be anxious about, there it is. The absolute uh, abandonment of God the Father's love. And what Jesus is saying to us is your Father in heaven who knows you and knows what you need is going to grant you what your heart most needs. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So, okay, so that's a little bit about thinking about the concept of anxiety. It's about belief in the power that there's something greater than what I can deal with or greater than the one who, someone who watches over me or some other coping strategy can help me with. What do we do with that? Well, anxiety, what it really is revealing is what the foundation of our lives is. What's the foundation of your life? Jesus gives us an analogy here to think about this. He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in any way, uh, store away in any barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. And then he says, can, you, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It's interesting. If you think about Jesus' words here about not worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, take that to its logical conclusion for a moment. Do you actually believe that your purpose is to bear clothing in this life? that your actual purpose is just to consume food, that that's like the fullness of who you are meant to be, just the clothing you wear and the food that you eat. And yet, sometimes we believe that. Sometimes we act as if that's true. Now think about advertising on television. Why do people spend so much money on advertising and television? To get this message in our minds and our hearts of something that we might need, like a really cool new truck or a really great new movie.
movie or whatever it is. There's a message that's being told to us, hey, if you can tap into this, you can really experience some joy. And sometimes I, sometimes I watch some of these commercials and I think, Does it, it, can it really make you that happy? And that, you know, hopefully, ultimately, that's not really behind the heart of the advertiser to tell you, if you'll just live for this one thing, you're going to experience such joy, such joy for the rest of your life. Like, we kind of all know that's not true, and yet we live sometimes as if that's true. So much so that Jesus himself says, hey, don't calibrate off to just clothing. Don't calibrate off of food. Consider the birds of the air. God watches out for them. He gives them what they need. Consider the flowers of the field. They're dressed even more fancy than King Solomon, and yet they don't toil. And in fact, as beautiful as they are, they're thrown into the fire one day. They just kind of rot. They just kind of uh, decompose. Birds need food. God gives it to them. Flowers need water and sun. God gives it to them. Question, are you not much more valuable than those things? Jesus is asking us to calibrate our hearts first, not to the things that provoke anxiety or the difficult things in this life or even our needs, but to calibrate ourselves first and foremost to this reality. Your Father knows that you need them. Your Father knows you. Are you not more valuable than those things? What do you think is most valuable? How would you finish this sentence? In order to be happy, I have to have this. Like, how would you finish that sentence? In order to be fulfilled, I must have this. Now, you may not consciously do that, but at times we live like that's true. One of the labs where I see the gospel really come to bear is in my own marriage. You know, there are times where I might act like, if Jamie will just be this kind of person or do this sort of thing, well, then I can be nice. If she'll just be really humble here, well, then I can be forgiving. You see what's happening? I'm actually making her God in that moment. I'm saying my behavior is going to be dependent on yours. Jesus is inviting us to something greater. You are valued by the Father. And you know what happens to people when you make them God? It's really sad because first they actually can't bear the weight of being your God. They can't bear the weight of being your source of joy. They can't bear the weight of, of being the thing that's going to determine who you are. So it crushes them. But you know what else it does? You become very disappointed because they're not good at being God either. Or consider material things. When you expect whatever it is you want, if you could just have this thing right, like just this, this base salary, this base salary and all of a sudden we wouldn't be anxious or fight anymore. Nope. Where does it start? I am valued by the Father in heaven first and foremost. I'm going to calibrate to that above the struggles and difficulties of this world, above the failures of others, above what I have or don't have. I'm going to start here. I am a beloved child of the Father. Or what about health and appearance? If I turned around for you right now, I don't like to do it, but if I turned around, you would see that I am balding. If my joy was wrapped up in my long, flowy hair that I had in my 20s, I would be really disappointed. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But how often do we put our hope, what must I have to be gracious? What must I have to be forgiving? What must I have to overlook someone else's mistakes? When Jesus loves me while I'm yet his enemy, what would it mean for me to love my enemy? How crazy is it? We prayed for the softening of Putin's heart in this church. God is gracious, and he invites us to start and calibrate ourselves to this one reality. God is God, and He is gracious, and He values us. You're not good at being God. You know that. You've disappointed yourself. 
Your spouse isn't going to be good at being God. Just give them a chance. They'll fail you. I am not good at being your God. Just hang out with me for a little while. If somehow I've deceived you into thinking I've really got it all together, we, we need to go to lunch more often. I don't. But there's one who does. The king of heaven and earth who loves us. And what begins to happen to the heart of someone who begins to live in light of the reality that God values them and God loves them and God is with them is what we read earlier in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. What is the secret to actually accessing a contentment that can begin to dissolve the anxieties around us? I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. To sum it up, the thing that our hearts most need is to know we're valued by the Father, yes, but it's the provision we have in Christ. Christ has given us His grace. So much grace that actually we can find our identity in something other than winning an argument. We can find our identity in something greater than our kids obeying or not. We can find our identity in something greater than getting that promotion or being overlooked. We can find our value in sort of surviving in prison, whether literal or figurative. Paul himself did. I'm not making this up. I have found the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Christian, if your hope is in Jesus, as difficult as it may be to fathom, and this is the journey of faith, this is what we mean by having faith, as difficult as it may be to fathom, here's what's true for you this morning. Jesus has something for you in the midst of whatever it is that's provoking you to worry. He brings His grace. He brings His mercy. Consider these ancient words from Isaiah 43. But now... This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. That's what the Father says to us. What He's not saying is we're not going to go through rivers. He's not saying waters aren't going to rise. He's not going to say there's not going to be fires before us. There will be, but He will be with us. The one who's more powerful than even the thing that might be provoking our fears. Now, this is not spiritual mumbo-jumbo. If you're hearing that, just delete everything I said until that first part in the very beginning where I ask you to remember that. This is not just mental gymnastics. It's not spiritual sort of, you know, just, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for kind of situation. This is the reality of God who wants you to know His affections, who's giving you His word to say to you, I have called you by name. I have redeemed you. I know what you're going to go through. I know it's going to be difficult. My son went through it for you so that you could be this honored by God, loved by God, 
received by God, responded to by God. Whatever it is that is provoking anxiety in your heart, rather than even trying to deal with that, come back to this. I am the beloved of God. He is with me. He watches over me. I'm going to seek His kingdom. I'm going to seek His purposes. And somehow, though I don't always understand how it's going to work, He's saying that this is going to be given to me and I'm going to see His kingdom come to bear. God, do that work in me. God, do that work in my marriage. God, do that work with my kids. Do that work in my workplace. I believe you're who you say you are. It's interesting, too. Jesus gives us this little bit of wisdom here. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. He says, How, what can you even do if you worry? Do you even add an hour to your life by worrying about it? You know, if you follow the logical conclusion of deep anxiety and worry, not that it's not real because we feel it, but where is it really leading? It's not going to do anything. Jesus is saying, here's something that will do something. I will be with you. I will be gracious to you. I want to invite you into tasting and seeing my kingdom. Or how about this? I want to invite you into the reality to know this for certain. God in heaven is concerned for you. He wants you to know you're loved. He knows you need it. That's why Jesus gives us his word. Now, let me read this. I think it's a good, um, it's, it's appropriate. Ooh. Mr. Bobus, would you kiss that, please? You know it was an accident. Okay, thank you. All right, this is appropriate. See how anxious I could be right now? All right. So I'm going to read this to you because this is an update from my friends, from people you've heard from who are in the Ukraine now. They sent an update out yesterday. They're actually having a Zoom meeting today. If you want to be on that Zoom meeting, you could ask me. I'm just going to tell you there's only 1,000 people let in, and I think it's overbooked as it is. It'll be recorded. I can show it to you later. But they sent this out yesterday. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to read it to you because if you're not following, you probably should start following so you can be praying for them. Your brothers and sisters, ones who have stood in this church, are enduring this experience of what's happening in the Ukraine. So this went out on February 26th from the county director, John. He writes this, country director. The book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, begins with three children being sent to a distant relative's house because of air raids and bombing in London. I've always thought that odd. What circumstances would ever make someone do that? I've learned of five families in the past two days who have done this exactly. They've sent their kids or family members away to leave a city that's being bombed. And I have to ask myself, what century am I living in? Each of the previous nights are important for Ukraine, and tonight is especially important. So that was, that was last night. Air raid sirens across the country, bombs pounding Kiev and Kharkiv. Many of our church members and those and other cities in bomb shelters trying to make it through the night. I talked to the pastor in Kiev today. After last night's bombing, he didn't get much sleep. But he is still preparing his sermon for church tomorrow. If the church is still standing, he plans to make his way there and hold services. Just imagine that. If the building's still standing, we're going to have church. Traffic jams to the west are so bad that travel takes ten times longer than usual. In Lviv, and other cities in the West are preparing for a million more refugees. Many of our churches right now in Ukraine are feeding and housing people and sheltering them. Pray for their safety 
and for the church to be sustained and move forward even in war. It would not be the first time in history when war would have actually advanced the gospel and the church. Man, they have a lot to be anxious about. And somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're still wondering, how is the Lord going to be present with us in this and use this to somehow do exactly what we're doing here this morning, to tell people that they are the beloved of God, that He has grace for them, that worrying about tomorrow might feel like a God to worship. It can't answer you. How about worshiping this God who's actually powerful enough to push back those things that could actually bring you harm? So what I want to do, we're done, is pray for us just for a couple minutes. Uh, for our, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and then we'll celebrate the supper. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your words um, could not be more timely and relevant for us. To not worry, to not even maybe worry about tomorrow, although how difficult that must be for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, because your grace is somehow sufficient for us today. Lord, we would ask for peace. We would ask for supernatural protection. We would ask for provision for our brothers and sisters who are seeking to tell others about how much you love them and that you would draw near to them and give by the power of your Spirit to each of them the comfort of knowing that when the waters rise, when the fire is ablaze, when there's difficulties they know they're going to have to walk through, when that becomes more and more apparent to them, Lord, would you give them the sense of your presence and your power and that somehow your grace is sufficient for them even in the midst of these incredibly anxiety-provoking things that they are going through, Lord. You are the King, and we worship you. And we pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.